0: I am here at the Science Museum in London. It is a huge building. There are so many different sections, but right now I'm at a section where it's talking about flight, how humans learned how to fly and get off the ground, how animals fly, and it's so fascinating to see how we took to the skies, but I'm more so interested in how animals first learned how to fly. Like, How did they all evolve flight in different ways? So let's talk about it, shall we? Hello everybody, welcome to this episode of Little Curiosities, and as you guys heard from the Spark, we are going to be talking about the evolution of flight. I did ask everybody in my stories on Instagram, out of all the superhero powers that they can choose between mind reading, flight, super strength, or invisibility, which one would they choose, and 50% of the time, they chose flight. Needless to say, flight is awesome. We all wish we could fly. And here with me from the Common Descent podcast, I have David Moscato and Will Harris, who are going to be the perfect people to talk about the evolution of flight because on their podcast, they talk about all things evolution, all things paleontology, all things natural world. So I'm so excited to have you on this podcast.
1: Yes, thanks for having us. We're happy to be here.
0: So first things first, Out of all the superheroes between mind reading, flight, super strength, or invisibility, which ones would you choose?
2: Flight was always my go-to answer as a kid. Mm -hmm. It's like, who doesn't want to fly? These days, my answer is a complicated answer, and it's the power that multiple man has. Right.
1: uh, Ooh, (laughs) From the
2: X-Men comics, to duplicate yourself and then send your duplicates off to do stuff that you don't want to do. Right. I send my duplicates off to go learn a bunch of languages and watch a bunch of movies and then bring that information back to me. It's like having infinite lives. Yep. But you've always uh, settled on telekinesis. uh... Or telekinesis. Yeah. That's the other one. Yeah. Because I want to be
1: Mewtwo. Yep. I... Out of those, that list, super strength would be mine, not so that I can lift stuff, but but because that gets me a step closer to Spider-Man. Oh uh, nice. <laughs> and I I want to be able to like jump and like just climb and like you want to hulk jump across yes, the city. That would be really cool. Just yeah. I want to be over there now.
0: <laughs> Technically, that would I feel like that would be kind of like flight super strength, because if you jump, yeah. isn't there a theory that Superman jumps and that's how he flies?
1: Well, like in the old comics, the that was their leaps over a building in a single bound. The The idea was that mm-hmm. he was, it, it was jumping. And in a lot of the old cartoons, they would actually the. show him always kind of leaping before taking quote
2: unquote flight. The original comics, he just could jump really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the oh. flight thing wasn't introduced until I think the first TV show. Yeah. Because it was easier to animate, I think yeah. is, is what it was.
0: So you would say that Superman evolved to fly over time
2: would you say? <laughs> It'd be. It'd be. Started <laughs> they start with a started strong out jump.
0: There are a lot of theories on how flight came to be in the animal kingdom and one of the theories is they started jumping and eventually that turned into flight. Am I right?
1: Yes, yeah. So the 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 one you're referencing is often called the ground up hypothesis mm-hmm. that and this is usually referencing specifically birds mm-hmm. that birds started out as, you know, small flightless dinosaurs that were running and either jumping or using their wings to stabilize or helping them like jump climb up trees or something and that flapping their arms helped them do that and get them into the air whilst the other version is the trees down hypothesis that they started by climbing up in trees and gliding and eventually started flapping their arms for powered flight superman would be a ground up hypothesis (laughs)
2: and superman (laughs) shares with birds and dinosaurs the strong legs yes to do a big
1: jump yeah that's why birds have those big meaty thighs is because they launch into the air and then flap to take off
0: that's why they're so delicious
1: Yes. I mean, it's <laughs> absolutely, it, it has come back to bite them.
0: <laughs> exactly. But we've come oh, we've back, come to, back bite to bite them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. yes. And they yes, yes. have yeah. like that really like good chest meat as well from like their wings. Right. So yes. they've yeah. evolved to fly and to be delicious.
1: Yeah. No, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but there's a couple different kinds of flight. Is there, um, is one of them having to do with birds bats, like, can you explain a little bit more about how flight is not, there's just not one type of flight?
2: Sure. One of the big distinctions between the types of flight is that flight has evolved separately four different times in Earth history. Five, if you count inventions. Right? Yes, we, yeah, we, we managed it, <laughs> but that, we're, that's not really what we're into. The four groups of life that evolved flight in reverse chronological order, bats most recently, birds before them, Pterosaurs, so those are the flying reptiles of the Mesozoic. Your pterod- pteranodons, pterodactyls, and then way before all the rest of those, insects did it.
0: I love that in insects did the, it first.
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> insects did most things first. Yep, but they're they're, <laughs> they're kind of like so the Simpsons cool. of the natural world.
0: <laughs> right? They need more credit.
2: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So those four different groups all developed flight in slightly different ways. The way they fly is slightly different. So. To use some, you know, a very uh, evident example, birds require feathers for flight. Feathers are an essential part of their wing of their their aerodynamic structure. Bats don't have feathers at all. They are using their sort of leathery gliding membrane. And insects are flying without legs. And in, in birds, bats, and pterosaurs, the wings are the front arms mm-hmm. that have adapted into that wing structure. Insects are doing a totally different thing and a totally different structure that flaps differently. Unique wing structure, yes.
0: Something so interesting about insects too is that where did their wings come from in the first place, right? So if they're not using their yeah. arms, they're not using like, do they just sprout up and appear out of nowhere? <laughs> that I feel like that seems impossible in terms of evolution. Some, everything has to come from something.
2: Yes, right. So the insect wings. Came from, some, you know, uh, birds, bats, pterosaurs, they were using their arms for gliding, flapping, whatever, and eventually those uh, evolved into wings. Insect wings came from some structure that eventually was adapted into wings. The question of what is one of the biggest mysteries <laughs> in evolutionary, this has been studied and debated uh, for like a hundred years. And there, there's really two big sides of why we're still un-
1: so unsure is because with our modern studies for like looking at their relatives in uh, uh, other arthropods, you know, other exoskeleton things like uh, crustaceans, we're finding slightly different results as to which body parts seem to be the most similar or have the most similar genetics to wings. And there's still Mm -hmm. debate as to what genes we even should be looking at to define as wing genetics. Mm -hmm. So we're still trying to figure out, where the best place to look, and how the best way to define which part is most closely related to what the wing used to be. And then in the fossil record, the first winged insects we have basically look like cockroaches. They are fully winged, probably fully flighted. We don't have anything before that that's partial wing or would have been just a gliding. So we only have hypotheses uh, based on what Makes sense for how they would have evolved
2: wings, but we don't have any examples for the pre flying insects. As opposed to birds mm-hmm. who have an extraordinary fossil record yes. where we can literally step by step trace the evolution and adaptations of the various body parts. Insects have not given that to us yet in the fossil record. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Because I did hear that there was some breakthrough with insect wings having to do with their ancestors being crustaceans, and there was some sort of side leg that fused at their back, and then all of a sudden it became wings. Is that the most popular theory to date on how insects got their wings?
1: So that's one of the most recent uh, pieces of research. And actually, it was a couple of different researchers who ended up publishing at the same
2: time, various studies on this topic. We know about this, incidentally, because we talked Mm -hmm. about it on our podcast. Yeah, And you said it was episode 139, Yes, right? Which was vultures, so we we actually did talk (laughs) about it on an episode about flying things. (laughs) It was very fitting.
1: Well, perfect. Uh, Basically, yeah. (laughs) So basically, when you think of uh, your, you know, multi-legged organisms today, insects and crustaceans are two big groups, and at some point in time, they split from a common ancestor. And so they had a a organism that was not quite what we would define as either that gave rise to both groups. Today, insects have six segments of their legs, so six parts to the leg with the joints in between them. And crustaceans have uh, seven, and some groups of other arthropods will have eight. And so what we've always interpreted that as is that those sections closest to the body have, and according to these research, it supports, at some point fused with the body. So it would be like if your shoulder melded and fused with your torso and your arm got one less bending part. Hmm. And that bending part became part of the body wall, which is super weird, but that's what it seems happened. It's <laughs> so crazy. And that,
0: you have to think why.
1: Yeah. And there's lots of reasons is that maybe it made it sturdier, maybe it you know, change the way it worked, but they—the eighth one closes the body, fused and was part of the body in crustaceans, and then the seventh one also fused and is part of the body in insects. Mm-hmm. And it seems like those two parts, which now form part of—you know—they don't have a torso, but the body wall, the body casing of the insect, are the likely sources for where the ring, the wings sprouted from. Mm-hmm. But even with those pieces of research, one research said it is most likely this section. The other one said that section definitely showed up, but we found a little bit of the other section too. And then a third research said, we actually think the genetics you were using might be misleading. (laughs) Uh, Inconclusive. uh, Yes, (laughs) it is still (laughs) – that is definitely the most recent like big study that came out about it and has yielded some really interesting information, but it is still by no means – The final answer to this debate.
0: Okay. And I think a lot of times with flight, I've found that there is so much up in the air. You know, there's so many things that have yet to be discovered. And that has to do with finding different fossils, just evidence in general of flight, which is probably a lot more difficult. Why do you feel like it's so difficult to find evidence for flight? Is it because insects are so delicate or finding any feathers or anything, is so difficult to trace
3: back?
2: It probably comes down to a few things. One is that flight requires so many specific adaptations that you end up with with animals that are specialized for flight. They tend to have become so different from everything else that it's hard to compare them. Yeah. So birds, birds are reptiles. They evolved from reptiles. Their closest relatives today are crocodilians. These are things that we can certainly uh, uh, interpret but they have their bodies are just so different because they have all these specializations it's one of the reasons why it took us so long to realize that birds were part of the dinosaur family tree mm-hmm. because for so long we didn't have those dino- those bird like dinosaurs that were obvious enough for us to point to that connection cuz birds are just so weird mm-hmm. so one of the things that that makes it difficult is that it's hard to compare like the insect wings example none of their relatives have wings or a particularly wing-like structure. That's something that has evolved so distinct that it's hard to know what to compare it to.
1: And often it can evolve very quickly because it is such a, a unique feature that it allows them to evolve very quickly. So that can happen over a very, quote unquote, short time when we talk about the history of Earth, that in the fossil record, it can be a blink. We can go from nothing, no wings to wings because
2: It happened very fast. And that, in terms of the fossil record, they tend to leave very little in the fossil record. One, because when you evolve flight, you tend to diversify rapidly. Mm -hmm. So you have Mm -hmm. what Will was just saying. Those flighted organisms go from not being there to being everywhere relatively quickly. But also flyers, by and large, tend to be relatively small, relatively delicate, and therefore they don't tend to leave fossils behind very well. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of the stuff is stacked against us finding good, clear evidence for how flight evolves. And being small and delicate
1: is another <laughs> adaptation for flight. Yes. <laughs> Cutting down on weight and becoming aerodynamic makes you now more prone to getting your fossil getting destroyed.
0: That was actually something I was curious about as well. There's a lot that has to happen to your body in order to obtain flight. There's something interesting that I was finding out about birds is that they something called they sustained uh, miniaturization
1: yeah yep yep mm-hmm.
0: and they were able to get small so what are some things you have to sacrifice in order to fly yeah because i feel like you have to get rid mm-hmm. of a lot in order Absolutely. to gain the, the superpower ability
2: I, I think my, my the most obvious example uh is birds, bats, and pterosaurs all had to lose their arms. Yep. Yeah. Like they evolved their front limbs into mm-hmm. wings, which like birds can't pick stuff up with their hands anymore. Yeah. Like you gave up that that limb to do something different. And so that that gets rid of all the options to
1: having, you know, hands like us, but even just having digging claws or something, you know, specialized. Yeah. Uh size is definitely one of the big limiting factors. Like there are big flying organisms today. There's big birds. And in the fossil record, there's even bigger birds and giant pterosaurs. Mm -hmm. But even the biggest of those do not even reach the average size for like big herbivorous mammals today, like big plant eaters that you can't now be thousands of pounds and get up into the air. You have a, from what we can tell, just based on the physics, an upper size limit that you can't really get that big, just because gravity and physics are now going to be working so hard against you, flight might not be an option anymore.
2: Most flyers are fairly small. Yeah.
0: But that also makes me think, what about the pterosaur? The giant mm-hmm. the giant pterosaur? Wasn't the biggest one the size of uh, a giraffe?
1: Yep. Yes, Yes.
0: Then how did they get up in the air? Or did they even get up in the air at all?
1: We do think they did. From the what we ball? can
2: tell, they have all the adaptations for powered flight. Yep. this is another one of those big questions that for a long time and for for decades there have been paleontologists who have said no they just they probably just didn't fly yes because the biggest ones were yeah they were giraffe size they probably they didn't weigh as much as a giraffe yeah. but they were still pretty heavy mm-hmm. these days uh like you said uh anatomically they seem specialized for flight one of the interesting suggestions for how they got up there and how they managed to stay flying. Basically, they probably had a lot of things unique to them that mm-hmm. are different from birds, different physiology, different body structure. One of the more recent popular hypotheses is that pterosaurs were able to fly while being big in part because of their launch style. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, going back to our Superman conversation, birds get off the ground with their legs. Yeah. Birds have big, powerful legs. And they have big, powerful legs because they're dinosaurs. And the whole dinosaur family tree, right? Your T-Rexes and your Velociraptors and all them. Big, strong, running, jumping legs. Birds use those powerful legs to jump off the ground into the air. Which means the bigger the bird is, the bigger their legs have to be. Mm -hmm. And the bigger their legs are, the stronger their wings have to be. And the bigger their wings are, the bigger... And now you're in this sort of a loop. Those big legs are a limiting factor That every bit of muscle you add, you add
1: weight. It's like uh, the equations they have to run for sending stuff to space. That Sending something heavier to space
2: means more fuel. The fuel weighs more, which means more fuel. The fuel weighs more, which means more fuel. Exactly. But there has been a recent hypothesis that has been supported by a few studies that pterosaurs may have been taking off more like certain bats do today Mm -hmm. in what researchers have called the quad launch that they were pushing off the ground with all four limbs. So, they were basically doing a big push-up to get up off the ground, and researchers have pointed out that if you're using your front arms to get off the ground, then the same muscles that you need to take off are also the muscles you need to fly, so you don't have all that extra baggage in the back legs. So, pterosaurs may have had a better balance of how big their wings could be compared to the rest of their body— which might be one of the, there's probably many things, but that might be one of the things that allowed pterosaurs to get j- to uh, absolutely ridiculous sizes.
1: Which uh, makes them more like planes in that like a plane, when it's taxiing on the runway, is not using the wheels to drive itself, it's using the engines right to pull <laughs> itself on little teeny tiny wheels because it's, It's launching mechanism and flight mechanism are the same thing. Yes,
2: which is a very efficient way to do it. Mm -hmm. But it also means that you probably couldn't have had, like, a roadrunner pterosaur. Yeah, exactly. They didn't have the legs for certain niches that birds can do.
0: So, vampire bats, do they jump off or start their flight different than all other bats, and and that's how pterosaurs were thought have to start flying?
1: Yeah, probably something very similar to that. Uh, I do think there are there's one group of uh, island bats that are also very good on the ground. I don't know if there's been research into how they take off, but I wouldn't be surprised if they might do something similar. But vampire bats, there's been notable studies into both their motions on the ground and that they use a four-limbed leaping motion to get into flight- and that it is, at least currently in the studies, the only group that has been shown doing that, and so that is something they're they're potentially the only one that's taking off the way pterosaurs might have today.
0: The secret missing link, not not literally <laughs> the missing link, but uh, giving us some hints, which is which is cool to see how different species that evolved flight completely different can give hints to others. Yes,
1: it, it is kind of it is a really cool concept that potentially. The most similar thing we have to pterosaurs today are bats, which is a whole different group. It's mammals, but they are using the membrane wings mm-hmm. very similar to pterosaurs. They are walk, flying, they're walking around with their arms still like pterosaurs seem to have been. Like potentially that is the most mm-hmm. the closest thing flying organism to pterosaurs and it's a very different group that's living potentially still very different
0: lives. And I always thought that with pterosaurs, I thought birds came from pterosaurs, but that's not the case. Mm -mm. Birds evolved from a completely different dinosaur. Pterosaurs aren't even dinosaurs, correct?
2: That's correct. correct. Yeah, birds and pterosaurs. That blew my mind when I found that out. Right? So this is a group that they all belong to this group of reptiles called archosaurs. And archosaurs The three sort of major famous groups within archosaurs are crocodilians, that's gators and crocs, dinosaurs, and pterosaurs. Mm -hmm. Pterosaurs and dinosaurs are closely related, but they're different groups. Crocodilians are closely related to them, but they're a different group. Birds are part of the dinosaur family tree. So birds evolved within dinosaurs, pterosaurs evolved earlier among the cousins of dinosaurs.
0: So dinosaurs got jealous and they're like, hey, we need to also have someone that flies as well. So now we have birds. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and then
2: for, for the Cretaceous period, the birds and pterosaurs were arguing over who did it best while the insects watched on and just shook their heads. Oh, kids, did they? Uh, these newcomers.
0: And this thrived, you know, insects thrived. And flying allows, like you said before, to have such a diversification in species. Why? Why are there so, like, as soon as you obtain flight, do you just burst into so many different types of species, so many different avenues?
1: Well, your, your comparison to superpowers at the beginning is actually really apt here. Flight allows animals to behave and do things that, Without flight, you just can't really have as options. You know, A, you can get to places that are harder for others to get. You know, that's why we have like cliffside nesting birds where no other animal can get up to that cliff because it's out in the ocean and none of the fish are good at climbing yet. Like there's nothing that can even intrude on their space. So they have access to places. You also have mobility now. You can migrate. Literally around the globe. Mm-hmm. And so just being able to get around in a way others can't opens up doors and options that were not even on the table before flying. You can
2: imagine that the predators that were around when their prey evolved flight or moved to a place where there were flying animals that they hadn't experienced before must have thought it was cheating, right? <laughs> like the first it, time a predator saw a flying thing and ran after it and it just jumped into the sky and didn't come back. Yeah, They're like, that's not fair. Yep. that's a, That's a ridiculous <laughs> thing to be able to do.
0: Do you think that predators evolved flight partially because their prey had evolved flight? Do you think that's correlated at all?
2: It's certainly possible. That we see this a lot in evolutionary history, where organisms will sometimes they're evolving different strategies because the pressure is get away from predators. Mm -hmm. But other times the pressure is get food. Yep. Right. And especially, you know, we've talked about insects, uh, insects being so early and so foundational. Mm -hmm. Insects are also kind of nature's trail mix. Yeah, (laughs) it's just the the go-to snack. Everything eats insects. And if you can jump and grab an insect out of the air, or if you can come out of a tree and grab an insect on the way down, that's a very handy skill to be able to have. It's totally possible that feeding on flying stuff could have been at least one of the factors that drove other groups to uh, take to the air. Uh, Bats today, for example, are famous insect. Mm -hmm. Bats are Some of the best insect hunters in the world. Bats have a whole suite of adaptations specifically for going after insects they're really, really good at it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that comes from their ability to fly.
0: I was listening to a study and they were debating whether bats had evolved echolocation first or flight Mm -hmm,
2: first. mm -hmm. This is another big question.
0: Yeah. See, there's so (laughs) many big questions when it comes to the evolution of flight. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, bats and pterosaurs, for that matter, are kind of in a similar situation that insects are, where our earliest fossils already seem to be flighted and already look like bats and pterosaurs. So like, we don't have that, you know, Archaeopteryx, the first bird in the fossil record that has that
2: in between set of traits. We don't have that for these groups. Once again, we are spoiled by birds. Oh, yeah. Excellent yeah. evolutionary history of their development of flight. The other three groups are uh, less cooperative. And the earliest fossils
1: of bats, uh, we, we do have some well preserved ones, but they are also extremely delicate. And to my knowledge, a lot of them will have crushed skulls. Mm. So there is potentially the options to get some information, but it's much harder because you might have distortion from the skull being damaged or the piece that would have given you the information might actually be
2: destroyed.
0: That's interesting. Why are their skulls crushed? Do they have delicate skulls or?
2: They have delicate everything. Bats are just very small and delicate. Okay.
1: Skulls get crushed very often when fossilization because they're hollow. Oh, they're a big, yep. empty, yep. you know. Once the brains are gone, yeah. there's there's nothing in there to hold it together. Just like a pumpkin. it's <laughs> It's got just a big shell. And so if you put a bunch of weight on it, they tend to just kind of
2: squish and collapse under that. Yeah. There, ha- I believe there has been some some indication of echolocating ability in certain early fossil bats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's another one where the fossil record not only doesn't give us a clear answer on when exactly and how exactly flight came around in bats. Same thing with echolocation. Yeah, we don't actually have a good handle on. When exactly and how exactly echolocation arose in bats, mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise me if it came about in tandem with flight mm-hmm. because the other famous group of echolocating mammals also evolved it in tandem with moving into a new lifestyle and new mobility style, right? Like whales are echolocators and they are among the weirdest mammals. Mm. They do something mm-hmm. that almost no other mammals do. They they are fully aquatic, they're fish-shaped. They are they're fish <laughs> mammals and it's very it's a very strange thing to do. Echolocation seems to have come about in part because they're doing something totally different that benefited from having this different sense. It could very well be the case with bats. Mm-hmm. They started living in this extreme lifestyle and that echolocating ability was then helpful. Mm-hmm. It's also tricky since
1: echolocating uses a lot of soft tissue, you know, soft organs, ears, and the inside and of the nose. And that doesn't node.
0: preserve very well. Yeah.
1: And so today's bats are super, super specialized for echolocation. So their skull shows it. Big old nose and focused inner ears for capturing that sound and everything. But the earliest bats, maybe they were echolocating, but they hadn't developed those extreme features yet. Like we don't. We don't know, you know, if you might have had some of the trait or a simple version of the trait, but it hadn't shown up in your skull yet. Mm -hmm. If we had your ears or your brain, we'd be able to see it. But with just the bones, it's hard to tell. Because once again, like you're saying, today's version is so extreme from the norm, it's hard to make it a nice comparison.
0: Exactly. It's never a perfect puzzle piece that fits all, right?
1: Yeah, slowly yet
0: surely. I think the most exciting thing about things like flight is there's so many questions that are not answered yet, and with every little discovery that we find or that we hear about, it seems to completely shift the entire idea of how it began in the first place.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny. I I always get uh, a little cautious when we talk about the the mysteries and the Mm -hmm. open questions because I never want to overshadow the fact that we have learned so much about the evolution of flight we've got all this genetic research with things like bats and birds and insects we've got all this fossil evidence that comes to us from birds the number of questions is very exciting and i think it's even more exciting that we have answered so many questions and there are still so many other questions for us to get to yeah
1: That's like when people talk about studying space, where it's like, we know tons about space, and we also don't know tons about space.
2: Right. (laughs) We know so much about space, but not most of it. Yeah. The more
0: you know, the (laughs) more you don't know. And and when I was researching Flight, I was looking into it and also listening to your podcast. There's so much information out there because there's been so many amazing minds on it that it's fascinating to see. Like, you can fill, like, an entire a movie or multiple movies, like a series with like all the information on just flight alone. So um, I've really enjoyed diving into it. I do have a question um, about animals that have wings and, and they don't fly. Do they lose the ability to fly like ostriches and penguins? Mm-hmm. They have wings, but they're not up in the air. Well,
1: because yeah. like you asked about, what do you have to give up to fly? Mm-hmm. Uh, some groups went back to those benefits of being able to get big and things like that and so if you want to be a big bird like a truly big bird like an ostrich yeah. which is taller than your average person then you you have to not be flying anymore cuz you can't be that big bird wise and keep getting up in the
2: air yeah so mm-hmm. ostriches and penguins have wings cuz they're birds mm-hmm. and birds have wings they inherited those from their ancestors even though they've given up flying with them. I mean, penguins still kind of fly with them. They yeah, fly through the water with them. The same yes.
1: motion, basically, yeah. just
2: underwater. But it's also important to note that there are winged, non-flying animals on the other side of the equation. There were tons of winged dinosaurs that didn't fly, mm-hmm. not because they lost flight. Uh, they, they, Their ancestors weren't flying, right? Like Velociraptor and Oviraptor, these are dinosaurs that, evolved from running around ancestors they had wings that they were using for different things. Mhm.
0: Wings must have had multiple different purposes then.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And and there, this is another one of those big questions is what what are all the things these dinosaurs might have been doing with their wings? Yeah, what why did you evolve wings initially not for flight? And wings are, you know, in birds basically just long arms with feathers on them. Mhm. And that could be useful for display. We see birds use their wings in showy displays today.
0: Birds of paradise. (laughs) Yes,
2: absolutely. There are direct fossils of dinosaurs, of Oviraptorosaurs, fossilized in position on top of their nests. With their arms out to the side, covering up their eggs. Oh. That they may have been using those wings to protect the eggs Like in a their shield. Nails.
0: Like an egg shield. Yeah. Like a
2: little, like a little blanket, a little egg blanket mm-hmm. on top of them.
0: Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, and then of
2: course, go back to what Will was alluding to. Baby birds today have been observed when their wings aren't yet developed enough to fly. If they have to get up a steep slope, they will flap their little underdeveloped wings to help keep their balance or push themselves up a steep slope. It could very well be that small dinosaurs back in the Cretaceous were doing things like that or jumping down off of things and using their wings for stabilization. Uh, There's all sorts of ways you can use a wing-like structure, some of which may have provided those benefits that allowed wings to get more and more developed until eventually you were able to truly fly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have winged non-flyers that came before the true flyers and that came after the true flyers.
0: Oh, man. I mean, it's it's... It's interesting to see how something that is so, it seems that it gave so many advantages, such as flight, to lose something like that. Um, It almost seems like wings came first before the ability to fly. And like the first bird that was able to fly was just like, what the heck is going
2: on? (laughs) (laughs) It's actually totally true that wings definitely came first. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Evolved for different purposes. We call this uh, in evolutionary studies, uh, exaptation. Exaptation. That you had a feature that was used for something and then ended up becoming handy for something else. Yes. Mm-hmm. These dinosaurs evolved these long arms with feathers on them, and they were useful for helping with a little jump or for showy displays or for slowing, you know, your descent when you fall out of a tree. And then they eventually developed enough power and enough aerodynamic capabilities doing those things that they could start flapping them. Yeah. And now we are exacting those structures and putting them towards a different Uh, structure so wings came before flight and we see this all over you know uh, a fish Mm -hmm. had legs before they walked onto the water yeah Mm -hmm. there were bony fins in fish before they started using them to move around on land because there's tons of fish that walk on the bottom of the sea floor and Mm -hmm. are walking they're just not doing it up in the air Mm -hmm. so one of the things that can be A little confusing for us trying to study the evolution of interesting structures is that very often the thing those structures are useful for today isn't the function that they were serving when they first started evolving. Yeah.
0: Wow. So it seems like I feel like every species wants to fly, and I feel like humans have done a lot to try to fly technologically with planes, helicopters. We've taken a lot of inspiration from birds from different flying animals around us. What would have to happen for a human to gain flight not with a plane, not with something outside of themselves? Mm -hmm. How do we get out, get up in the air?
2: Like a yellow sun traditionally, (laughs) right?
0: Yes. More energy from a yellow sun.
1: (laughs) It would be very handy. Yeah. Getting a human body to fly would take a lot of adaptations, a lot of shifting. Uh, one, we would probably have to get smaller. Yeah, uh, we're big. We're big animals. We are big animals. Like, we're wolf size. That's, that's big. Yeah. So, smaller people would be helpful. One thing birds have done, and that we see very often in flying organisms, is you need a solid structure. You know, you don't want to be floppy while you're in the mm-hmm. air, because you need to be able to anchor strong flying muscles. So, bird bones have fused. Their breastbone has fused yeah. into that sternum that is so, you know, that keeled sternum that is so
2: famous. The hip um, bones mm-hmm. are fused into a structure called a syn sacrum. The limb bones, you have a lot of, where we would have multiple bones, in many places, birds have consolidated them into one solid structure. Because you don't want dexterity, you want stability. Right.
1: Like a horse. Yes, and exactly. That sort of solid. I
0: collect... B- Uh, bones, skeletons, and things that I find in nature all the time. And the first time that I saw um, a bird skeleton, I thought that its chest was another skull because it was fused together. And it looked kind of like eye sockets (laughs) where the the joints Mm -hmm, were. mm -hmm. So I I had to research it and figure out what I was looking at because it looked almost kind of like a dragon skull, but it's because all of their bones are fused together. It's so cool.
1: Goes back to that they are so specialized. They have become almost unrecognizable.
0: Mm-hmm. And they're also, um, their bones are hollow, correct? Yeah. So does does their bones being hollow have anything to do with them helping them fly at all?
2: The hollow bones almost certainly are helpful to their flight. It's often, you know, you'll often hear people cite that the hollow bones are there to help make the skeleton lighter, mm-hmm. which they do, but that's not the whole story. Yeah, they have not removed bone to make them hollow. Okay, Bird bones have a structure where... They leave open spaces in the bone by strengthening the bone elsewhere. So what this allows them to do is to have bones that are sturdier without adding extra weight. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of it's an engineering principle. So it's not that they're necessarily uh, for sure lighter than that same bone would be in another animal, but that bone is sturdier without being heavier. The other thing that the hollow bones do for birds, and this is also true of other dinosaurs... Um, Something like this uh, is likely true about pterosaurs. Bird, the hollow bones of birds are also part of their respiratory system. Those hollow spaces are filled with air sacs, which are extensions of their breathing system. And that is part of what gives birds an extremely efficient breathing system. Mm -hmm. This is another thing they inherited from their dinosaur ancestors. Birds are just really good at breathing. They're excellent, efficient breathers. Which isn't required to fly, right? Bats don't have that same thing. Insects don't have that same thing. And on the
1: flip side, crocodilians, uh, crocodiles and alligators do have a similar breathing system and do not
2: fly very famously. Other non-flying dinosaurs had the same air sac system. Mm -hmm. But respiratory breathing probably is certainly a helpful thing for birds to have. (laughs) It doesn't hurt. Yes.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?
0: I also heard that birds during mating season is the only time that their gonads get larger, and that's a way to keep them lighter as well.
1: Yeah, I've heard that before, that they deprioritize certain organs, you know, so that they don't have to be carrying this swollen organ all the time. So they're just going to turn it on during mating season. And then, you know, it might be harder to fly, but you're doing the more important task, and then you can let it turn off and go back to
2: uh, your normal weight when you're done with that. And this, is, this goes back to that, that question about trade-offs, mm-hmm. is weight is a huge issue. So if you're a bird who is carrying eggs, there may be a limitation into how much eggs you can carry or how big your eggs can be if you're still going to fly. Mm. One of my favorite examples of this is vampire bats, very fam- So vampire bats drink blood, right? They'll, they'll take a little bite on the heel of a cow or something, and they'll drink a bunch of blood. They take in lots and like, take in as much as they can, but all that fluid adds weight. Yes. Exactly. And so a vampire bat that has just fed will often have trouble flying because it's full with this blood. So one way that they get around this is while they are drinking blood, they are also peeing. Oh. Yep. Like, the the parts they're not using are just going straight through the body because they want to get rid of that water. Extremely weight. Extremely
0: quick metabolism. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: they're they just all that water is being flushed out. So you'll see these this video, and it's a very strange, unexpected thing to see <laughs> of the vampire bat is drinking and peeing because it wants to immediately get rid of that extra weight. That is it's so interesting. Filtering insane. the blood, basically. Yes,
0: that is so cool because mm-hmm. definitely a fast metabolism is one of the things that uh, flying animals have evolved to have to fly. So, I, I yeah. have you ever seen uh, Alien Worlds, the Alien Worlds show that was on Netflix? Mm-hmm. So, something I wanted to talk about was inspired from that show. Um, and in one of the worlds, the atmosphere was so thick that larger animals could get up into the air, and it was. I think it might have been a theory as to how bigger animals flew in the past was because our atmosphere might have been thicker because of the humidity. Does that hold any weight at all?
1: We definitely do have uh, instances where atmosphere affects this stuff. Mostly, though, when we talk about past organisms, we're usually referring to what it would have allowed their metabolisms to do. Mm -hmm. You know, higher or lower amounts of oxygen would affect the kind of metabolisms that you could see
2: in animals and therefore the size or anatomy that would be possible generally speaking when we look throughout earth history there isn't any clear correlation between changes in atmosphere and the evolution of yes. flight mm. the atmosphere wouldn't we, we can't reliably say it would have been thicker or thinner at different times certainly not enough to help you know a pterosaur yeah. get up into the air or oxygen levels for for respiratory Uh, More than likely, the ability of animals to fly, especially in ways they don't do today, is more to do with unique features of those animals than to do with unique features of the environment. Although, and I I assume this is where you're going, so go ahead. uh,
1: (laughs) There is an example of an organism that is able to fly due to the thickness of our atmosphere. There is a group of insects called fairy flies,
2: and these are some of the smallest animals period. Before, you were talking about how there may be an upper level, Mm -hmm. upper upper cap to the size you can be to fly. Mm -hmm. These might be towards the lower cap of just
1: animal in general. Like These might be about as small as animals can get. And they are flying. They're flies, but their wings are not that nice crystalline shell that we think of with insect wings. Mm -hmm. They're more like feather dusters. Oh, interesting. Because at that scale the atmosphere is so thick, it's more like swimming through a very thin soup for them. So they don't fly through the air as much as they paddle through it with these feathery wings that are there to just push through the air. And so absolutely, if you had a ridiculously thick atmosphere, you would likely see different kinds of flying more so than just larger flyers. Mm -hmm. If your atmosphere was you know, alien world thick, then you would have things that would be able to fly, but they'd be able to do it with structures that would be complete, we probably wouldn't even recognize as wings mm-hmm. because yeah. you now can interact with your atmosphere in a different physical
2: way. The I mean, physics has completely shifted. I'm imagining those big centipede things from the Avengers. right? Yeah.
0: Right? Almost like a dragon. Just kind of like
2: <laughs> undulating, yeah. like, mm-hmm. like a dragon through
1: the sky. Well, and you could probably get some sort of jellyfish-like structure that yeah. if you just had a big, umbrella of filament to catch that thick atmosphere. Now you can just hang in the air. you an aeroplankton. Yeah, because now the gravity would not be strong enough to pull you through that air fast enough with the resistance. And so you could probably get some really weird structures. So yeah. instead of thinking of it as like we get big birds, we would just get weird aerial life.
0: Do you think there's anything now that currently doesn't fly that might have the potential to fly in the future that's heading that way. I think we always look in the past and we see things that have already evolved flight.
2: It's always really difficult to say. So, so, technically speaking, if we want to be very scientific and very accurate, nothing is ever on its way to a specific thing. Yeah. You know, the direction of evolution is at the whims of how the environment is changing and what's going on. That being said, there are certainly groups of life that are more well-suited. Yeah, in and in a better position for those adaptations to kick in. So flight has evolved, true flight has evolved four times in Earth history. Mm-hmm. Insects, pterosaurs, birds, and bats. Gliding has evolved mm-hmm. over and over and over and over again. There are tons of gliders. There are several groups of gliding mammals. There are several groups of gliding reptiles. There are even amphibians that glide. There are gliding bugs, like insects that glide. Gliding is often seen as one of the most obvious routes to flying. Right. That, you know, a flying squirrel can leap out of a tree and glide a hundred feet across the forest and then land in another tree. It's very intuitive to go, all right, get, add a little more muscle there and a little more refinement and you can power flap yourself across the forest. It it seems that. Obviously, you're just a step or two away from. Right. Mm-hmm. And there are also tons of gliders in the fossil record. Mm-hmm. There are extinct groups of gliding mammals, extinct groups of gliding reptiles. Funnily enough, none of them seem to be linked to flyers. Yeah. Interesting. Like none of the ancient groups of, of gliders seem to be directly connected to any flyers. So we may actually be wrong that, that gliding That seems like the logical
0: next step. Yeah.
2: Right? And it may just be that... That gliding is good enough, and it very rarely would happen that you move on to something more powered. Or it could be that that's not like maybe we should be looking at more dinosaur shape, like kangaroo rats. Yeah. That's what's gonna you know to develop those that, that hopping motion, those big <laughs> back ears, legs, maybe those ears. big ears. <laughs> it, and it might be a thing where like
0: <laughs> like uh, Dumbo. Yes, yeah. Yes. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and it it's could very likely be that when we look at flyers, we're like, well, that's just you know that's like a hang glider, and if you put a you know engine on the back of a hang glider you've got a very weak plane that's step one but it might be more accurate to be like well but if you try to turn a like paraglider parachute into a plane you'd have much more trouble and it might be one of those where the adaptations for gliding may not actually sync up with the adaptations for flying and so there's some groups out there that like seem obvious, like the Draco lizard, which has the flaps on the side of its body. Yeah, it's basically those pretty wins. blue ones. It's, I've it, seen those. And it, it holds its arms out and it has a little flap on its neck that seems to also like it's super, super, super good at gliding. But asking it to flap its ribs might be a step too far for a, a simple Adaptation to then bump it up
2: to flying.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Cause if it works, then why change it?
2: Yeah. If you're doing fine as a glider, then keep going. I like that you asked this question of what do you think uh, is on the way to, to, flight, and we immediately got caught in the weeds of how hard it is to understand flight evolution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a very unclear answer. Yeah. I, I said a thing and then immediately undermined my own suggestion mm-hmm. because it's just so hard to know. No,
0: it is also difficult to fly. It's mm-hmm. not just one thing that allows a species to be able it's like the metabolism, it's getting that energy, becoming lighter. So many things have to go right. And a lot of the times they probably don't. yeah.
2: yeah well and flight is also really hard yes. and i then that's really a big you know once again we talked about those trade-offs there are so many trade-offs mm-hmm. flight uses so much energy it takes so many anatomical specializations you have to change that body structure dramatically in order to fly and that's not only is that really hard to do so evolving those adaptations is just less likely to happen. But those adaptations are also less likely to be beneficial Mm -hmm. enough to an organism that it's going to go off in that direction. Like you were saying with gliding, gliding is perfectly Mm -hmm. good. There's no pressure that is necessarily driving those animals to be better at moving through the air, especially because it's such, so to speak, it's an uphill climb to Mm -hmm. get all those adaptations in place some things are just harder to evolve and they're just less likely to come about because there's so many obstacles in the way and while flyers are super numerous and all over the world it's only
1: evolved four times you know it it, effectively it is very rare
2: you know digging has evolved tons of times like high Mm -hmm. moving from from land to ocean has happened Many, many, many times. Even weird stuff like hive insects, like use sociality
1: has evolved more times than flight has. Yeah. Alien or, you know, civilizations. right <laughs> <laughs> Here yeah. on Earth are little bees and wasps doing that, their own weird cultural yeah. things. That's more common than gaining the ability to fly. So it may be a supremely difficult thing to evolve, and that may be why we only see it in four groups throughout Earth's history. And
0: something that I've heard is that once an animal gets a chance to not fly, it, it takes, it will lose flight. Because it's so difficult mm-hmm. to maintain as well, it sounds like.
2: Yeah. The the evolution of flightlessness, mm-hmm. so having flying ancestors, but then evolving to not fly, is something that has happened in birds over and over and over and over again. Yeah, like tons the, of groups. You you land on an island, you are almost guaranteed to find lightless birds somewhere on that island. Yeah, because you finally if you don't have to avoid predators, you go, Oh yeah. good. I can just rest. You, you save so much energy. You, you, all those adapt, all that maintenance to maintain a flying body, uh, is no longer a major concern. Mm-hmm. Not only have birds evolved flightlessness many, many times, but also insects. There yeah. are tons of secondarily flightless insects. None in bats. None in bats uh, hmm. that we know of. Although there are some, like we said, that are really mm-hmm. good on the ground. Yeah. And none that I've ever heard of in pterosaurs. None, none confirmed
1: in pterosaurs. Yeah, that we that we have strong inklings uh, that seem like they were
2: uh, either flightless or reducing their flight for sure.
0: Oh interesting. So it
2: may be that losing flight is also something that's easier for some groups to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Birds, for example, they've got those big meaty legs that yep. we talked about. It may just be that it's easy for birds to not fly. They're all right, great, I can run. That's that's no big deal. I can already get around. But a flightless bat might have a harder time. So it may be something that's harder for bats to do. Or maybe just everywhere that bats go and they could have become flightless, there are already flightless birds there and those (laughs) ecosystem (laughs) niches are already occupied.
0: Yeah, for some, it seems like they got the plane ticket. They got to the vacation area, the destination. They're like, now it's time to chill. Now it's time to take advantage of this new place where that Guy that tried to eat me before isn't there anymore, so thank goodness. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. I I can settle (laughs) down. Those cats can't get there. And I can put on a little bit of weight and just... (laughs)
0: And become a penguin. Eat whatever
1: I (laughs) want. Yes. 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 As as we all dream to.
0: Well, it's more fun to fly underwater anyway, so, you know, the penguins probably have it made in that that regard. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You are so knowledgeable about all things flight. I'm so glad that you joined me for this episode.
2: Thanks for inviting us. And
0: where can people find you? Where, I know that uh, your podcast, Common Descent, I absolutely love it. I binge watch, uh, binge listen to a lot of your episodes. Uh, where else can people find you besides your podcast?
2: So our podcast is Common Descent. We also, uh, you can find us at our website, which is commondescentpodcast.com, where we have blog posts associated with all of our podcast episodes. You can listen to the podcast on all of your podcast platforms, but we also upload the audio to YouTube. And we're on the social medias. We're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook as Common Descent Podcast. So you can find us there. And we have a Patreon for anybody uh, who would like to support our science education efforts. Uh, That's a great place to do it. We always have to remember to (laughs) point out that there is a Patreon. Yep.
0: Thank you so much, Will and David. I really enjoyed our talk.
2: No, this was a lot of fun. This was great. Thanks.
0: Little Curiosities with Kendall Long is a Q Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Counts House. Edited by Ben Milchev. Music by Kendall Long and Will Tendy.
1: Carlos King, one of the most sought-after executive producers in reality television.
2: I am thrilled
1: to announce reality with the king, where we'll discuss all things reality TV. I have interviewed everyone from mini Leaks, Teresa Judai and Kenya Moore each episode we will rehash shocking portrayals honey yes hilarious shade and all the drama Reality with the King podcast is available wherever you get your podcast
0: whether you're in a relationship single or recently heartbroken you could be navigating some tough stuff And it really can be challenging to do this on your own.
3: We all need help when it comes to our relationships, very specifically our love lives. I'm Jillian, and each week on my podcast, Jillian on Love, I share skills on how to strengthen our relationships, how to build a
0: stronger sense of self, and how to heal heartbreak and choose better partners. Learn how to start making change today and search for Jillian on Love wherever you're listening now.